For the hay and the corn and the wheat that is reaped, for the labor, labor well done and the barns that are heaped, for the sun and the dew and the sweet honeycomb, for the rose and the song and the harvest brought home, thanksgiving, thanksgiving. For the trade and the skill and the wealth in our land, for the cunning and strength of the working man's hand, for the good that our artists and poets have taught, for the friendship and hope that affection has brought. Thanksgiving, thanksgiving. For the homes that with purest affection are blessed, for the season of plenty and well-deserved rest, for our country extending from sea unto sea, the land that is known as the land of the free, thanksgiving, thanksgiving. Thanksgiving week is here, ready or not. Many of you will travel this week. In fact, how many of you will travel to go somewhere later this week? Looks like about half of you. The rest of you may be welcoming family here to Nashville. We uh, welcome Megan's parents, Bob and Jean Partridge here last night, uh, which is always a blessing to have them. But you will be with friends and family. And, and this year, Thanksgiving will be better because if you remember last year, many of us didn't get to be with friends and family. We, uh, we stayed apart. Uh, because of the virus, and this year certainly things are much better, and we are thankful for that. But I came into the staff meeting on Wednesday of this week, and I asked them three questions that I'd like to ask you this morning. The first question is this, how would you describe the state of our society right now? The second question what are three or four things that you are thankful for in your life? And I would encourage you between now and Thursday to get up every morning and maybe write down three things that you're thankful for. And the final question is, what is one thing that you are dealing with in your life right now for which you are not thankful? And be honest about that one. It was interesting to hear the staff responses uh, to the first question. Many said that when they look around our society right now, they are, see people who are tired and weary, even exhausted. Many have used the pandemic as a time to re-examine life and reevaluate their priorities. We've read about the great resignation that's taken place in the workforce in recent months. Many are ready to move forward and press on, like we discussed last week in Philippians 3. Many people are being unkind, impatient, hateful, divisive, even rude for whatever reason. There doesn't seem to be much compassion and empathy like we once had. Hopefully that will change as we enter the holiday season. It seems like we've been plunged into a world where everybody is trying to survive, which means that many people are just looking out for themselves. Somebody said it, it feels like everybody is looking for what's wrong with everybody else rather than looking for the good in others. Chris Cox said it feels like somebody took a snow globe and shook it up and then maybe threw it down. And that's what society feels like right now. There doesn't seem to be the compassion and the empathy that we once had. Many feel disconnected, lonely, isolated. They long for authentic community and, and interaction. The bottom line is many of us might be entering this holiday season with a limp, looking to experience more joy and more peace, which is why we've been studying Philippians over the past four weeks. Paul writes in chapter four, rejoice in the Lord always again. 
I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, Paul says, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace, the God of peace will be with you. Now, this passage of scripture from Philippians 4 can stand alone as a Thanksgiving sermon. It's one that we can read over and over and over, and hopefully it will get us into the proper state of mind to enter this Thursday. I'm reminded of uh, the story about the old man. He lived in Phoenix, and he wanted to kind of, I guess, play a joke on his kids because he got tired of them not coming home for Thanksgiving. So he called his son. His son was in New York, and he said, son, I want you to know your mother and I were getting divorced. 45 years of misery is enough. I can't take it anymore. I want you to call your sister and tell her the bad news. So he said, dad, don't you do anything. You stay right there. He called his sister and told her the news. And she said, the heck, they're getting divorced. They're not getting divorced. They both called back and said, mom, dad, you don't do anything. We're going to be there tomorrow. Don't make any decisions. And so the man hung up the phone. He looked at his wife. He smiled. He said, honey, I want you to know they're coming home for Thanksgiving this year. And they're even paying for their own plane tickets. Whatever it takes, right, parents, to see your kids at the holidays. What do we take from this passage in Philippians 4 today? First and foremost, we hear that we should always give thanks to God. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The psalmist writes, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks and bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, his faithfulness to all generations. Paul is saying that no matter what happens in life, no matter what comes our way, no matter what we go through, we have to give thanks to God. No matter how we're feeling, no matter what we are experiencing, God deserves praise. And if we are honest, we don't always do that. There have been days, many days over the past 18 months when we've wondered How much more of this can we take? And we can get into that mindset where we don't feel like praising God. We don't feel like thanking God because perhaps we don't feel God's presence in our lives. But Paul says, rejoice. Give thanks in everything, not for everything, but give thanks in everything. In her excellent book titled Grateful, Religion scholar Diana Butler Bass says, gratitude is more than just an emotion. It is also a disposition that can be chosen and cultivated, an outlook toward life that manifests itself in actions. It's an ethic, she says. Melody Beatty once said, gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns what we have into enough and more. It turns denial into acceptance and chaos into order and confusion into clarity. It can turn a meal into a feast and a house into a home and a stranger to a friend. 
Meister Eckhart, do you remember what he said? He said, if the only prayer you ever learn to pray is thank you, then that will be enough. That will be sufficient. Secondly, Paul says, do not worry about anything. Now, that sounds great, but we know that that's tough. We worry about a lot of things. But Paul continues, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Pray and give thanks. Rejoice and be grateful. It's very hard to worry and be anxious when you're thanking God for your blessings. It's very hard to worry when you're taking time on a daily basis to be still and to pray. But the truth is, so many of us neglect that. And then we wonder why we can't find peace. It's because we don't carve out time in the first place to pray, to be still, to find peace. And I don't know about you, but there's no doubt in my mind that our world right now needs to experience more peace, less division, less anger, less hatred, less hostility, more peace. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Let not your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. Maury Schwartz once said, so many people walk around with a meaningless life. They seem half asleep. Even when they're busy doing things that they think are important, this is because they're chasing the wrong things. The way you get meaning into your life is to devote yourself to loving others. Devote yourself to your community around you and you devote yourself to creating something that gives you purpose and meaning. And a big part of this is cultivating time to pray so that we can find and experience inner peace. If we're always going and going and going and we never slow down, it's gonna be hard to stop worrying and to experience peace. One of the elders at our meeting this past Monday said, for me, the biggest challenge in our society to the spiritual life is plain and simple, it's busyness. Not business, even though that could be an answer too, but busyness. Third, focus on the good things in life because I promise you they are there. The news isn't going to give it to you. Most of the time, your social media feed's not gonna give it to you. Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, then think about these things. Are you a positive or a negative person? Do you surround yourself with positive or negative people? And can you tell the difference in how it affects your spirit? Are you gonna feel sorry for yourself that you don't make as much money as your friend or are you going to give thanks that you have a job? Are you gonna feel sorry for yourself that, that because you have to drive an old car, it's kind of beat up, or are you gonna give thanks that you have an automobile? Are you gonna feel sorry for yourself because your house is, is kind of small compared to the other people? Are you gonna give thanks that you have a roof over your head? We make these decisions every single day. Somebody sent me an email years ago that said this. It said, I'm thankful for the wife who says, honey, it's leftovers tonight because that means she's home with me and not with someone else. 
I'm thankful for the husband who is on the sofa like a couch potato, right, Megan? Because that means that he's here with me and not out at the bars. I'm thankful for the teenager who's complaining about doing dishes because it means that she's with her family, not out on the streets. I'm thankful for the taxes that I pay because it means that I'm employed. I'm thankful for the mess to clean up after a party because it means I've been surrounded by my friends. I'm thankful for the clothes that fit a little too tight because it means I have enough to eat. I'm thankful for the lawn that needs mowing, the windows that need cleaning, the gutters that need fixing because it means I have a home. I'm thankful for all the complaining that I hear about the government because it means we have freedom of speech. I'm thankful for my huge heating bill because it means that I am warm. I'm thankful for the lady behind me in church who sings loud and very off key because it means that I can hear. I'm thankful for the alarm that goes off in the morning hours because it means that I am alive. And I'm thankful for too much email because it means that I have friends who are thinking of me and who care. Lastly, this morning, final takeaway from Philippians 4, the passage that we are reading, we must learn that gratitude is connected and it's actually the secret to being content. If we continue on in chapter four, Paul says, I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is uh, uh, to be hungry. I know what it is to, 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 to be well-fed. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content. And then he says in 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do we believe that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us? Eugene Peterson once said, you know, I love being an American. I love this place in which I have been placed, its language, its history, its energy. But I don't necessarily love the American way, its culture and its values. I don't love the rampant consumerism that treats God as a product to be marketed. I don't love the dehumanizing way that turns men, women, and children into impersonal roles and causes and statistics. I, I don't love the competitive spirit that treats others as, as rivals and, and even as enemies. The truth is some of us, if we're honest, have a hard time turning off our work and off our drive in order to stop and be content. And Paul is telling us that in any circumstance of life, we should be able to be content. Because if you can't take time to be content right now with what you have, then chances are when you get whatever you want or you get whatever you're striving for, you're not gonna be content then. Thanksgiving followed by Christmas is a time for us to change our mindset. It's a time to slow down a little bit and count our blessings after another year that's been difficult and challenging because of the pandemic and everything associated with it, we need to slow down and acknowledge our blessings in life. When you grow up as a preacher's kid, you, you hear uh, many different things over the years that stick with you uh, because you have to be in church every week. And so you hear a lot, right? 
And uh, there's one poem that I heard my dad use growing up. In fact, if you came to the Thanksgiving dinner, you heard him share it because it's one of his favorites. And I want to close with it this morning because this poem, perhaps more than any other, talks about what it means to change our state of mind as we approach this Thanksgiving and then Christmas season. It says, I knew a man whose name was Horner, who used to live at Grumble Corner, Grumble Corner in Crosspatch Town, and he never was seen without a frown. He grumbled at this, he grumbled at that, he growled at the dog, he growled at the cat, he grumbled at the morning, he grumbled at night, and the grumble and growl were his chief delights. He grumbled so much at his wife that she began to grumble, just as he and all the children, wherever they went, reflected their parents' discontent. If the sky was dark and betokened rain, then Mr. Horner was sure to complain. But if the sky was blue and there was not a cloud about, he'd grumble because of a threatened drought. His meals were never to suit his taste. He grumbled at having to eat in haste. The bread was poor, the meat was tough, or the cake he hadn't had half enough. No matter how hard his wife might try to please her husband, with scornful eye, he'd look around and then with a scowl at something or other begin to growl. One day as I loitered along the street, my old acquaintance I chanced to meet, whose face was without the look of care and the ugly frown he used to wear. I may be mistaken, perhaps I said, as saluting I turned my head, but it is and it isn't Mr. Horner who lived for so long at Grumble Corner. I met him the next day, I met him again in pouring rain and stormy wind when stocks were up, when stocks were down, but a smile somehow had replaced the frown. It puzzled me much, and so one day I seized his hand in a friendly way and said, Mr. Horner, I'd like to know what could have happened to change you so. He laughed a laugh that was good to hear, for it told of a conscience calm and clear And he said, with none of the old time draw, why, I changed my residence. That's all. Change your residence? Yes, said Horner. It wasn't healthy at Grumble Corner. And so I moved. Twas a change complete. And now you'll find me on Thanksgiving Street. Now every day as I move along the streets so filled with the busy throng, I watch each face and can always tell where men and women and children dwell. And many a discontented mourner is spending his days at Grumble Corner, sour and sad, whom I long to entreat to take a house on Thanksgiving Street. Do you need to change your residence this Thanksgiving? And if so... Do it. Amen.